Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, this is Megan, and welcome to Genealogy Explorer, where we dive into the family history of listeners just like you. Today, we're met with Teresa, who has a very interesting genealogy discovery that she has, and uh, we are also going to dive into the topic of bigamy in uh, genealogy, which, of course, that means uh, someone who has been married more than once and is technically a crime, but it also messes with genealogy records uh, a lot more than you would think. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Teresa. Well, thanks, Megan. I was really happy to be asked. I'm kind of a genealogy obsession. So, yeah, I just love it. Oh, fantastic. Well, how long have you been researching and what started your interest in genealogy to begin with? So I um, I, I actually had to go back and write some of this down because it's been a while. But when I was growing up, I would hear stories from both sides of my family. And because I started when I was 14. Oh, wow. In 1977. And so I've been doing this. I don't know how many years is that? It's a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause I'll, I'll, I'm in my sixties now. And so in 1977, my parents divorced and we went to live with my mother's parents out in South Dakota. And at that time I had, I'd grown up hearing a lot of stories about my grandfather who was John Raymond Beck and my grandmother who was Marion LePage or LePage as it was anglicized. And ultimately the the name was actually changed to page p-a-g-e which has made that research a lot more fun as well of course well so i grew up hearing stories about how they met they were both in milwaukee and they were just the most hysterical stories about you know who grandpa was dating when he met my grandmother and how if she would have stayed, if he would have stayed with this other woman, he'd have been dead because she was built for speed. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, so yeah, so I grew up hearing a lot about my family. And so we're watching Roots when it came out in 1977. Mm -hmm. And all, and we're sitting there and my grandpa says, my family's more interesting than that. <laughs> and I went, excuse me? What? Because he had never said anything like that before. So ultimately, um, I got from my grandmother and from both sides, actually, um, a, just a lot of information, a lot of documents. And my grandmother had quite a few things about my grandpa's family. And my dad's family had quite a bit about his. And so for 45 years, I've just been really deep into it. And in that time, I have found Daughters of the King in New France. I've got Native Americans. I've got farmers, pioneers, soldiers, deserters, liars, cheats, (laughs) and scoundrels. And so I have lots of it. It's a lot of fun. That is so fascinating. It is so endearing to like do this deep dive. And if, if, at first, the people are just seem to be documents, you know, you just seeing census records and things like that. And then you start discovering stories and you just start discovering how these people were actually just people, just like me and you. And so I always found oh, that yeah. part of genealogy so fascinating and so like, uh, engaging because it is, it is so fascinating to hear these, these very personal stories and to find out who these people really were. Well, it is. And to kind of jump off of that point, um, our families, our ancestors, if you think about what they went through from surviving two world wars, 
the Great Depression, um, weather disasters, just, you know, and even just the culture and the socioeconomic things that were going on. And a perfect example of that is when my grandfather, when my grandpa Beck's family was living in Wisconsin, they were trying to buy a farm and they had saved up the $800 that they needed to pay off the mortgage. And finally they had it all and they were going to go to the bank that morning and sign the note and the farm would be theirs. And when they went into town, it was Black Friday. The bank was closed. Oh my gosh. And they lost everything. They they lost it all. And that that it killed my great grandfather, Henry right. Christian Beck. He had been working, the whole family had been working. My great grandmother had saved egg money. I mean, the whole family had pitched in to help and they got back $80. Oh my gosh. That's the worst. That's, they lost that it all. terrible. Isn't wow. that awful? Yeah, you that know, is awful. But then, but then you think about the resilience and the strength that it took for them to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. And that there are so many times that knowing those stories about my ancestors, it's what kept has kept me going in a lot of situations. Cause I'm like, well, no matter what, I have a roof over my head and I have a job and I am able to pay my bills and I'm okay. Right. You know, and so Anyway, yeah, it's, but you're right. It's those stories that we can find. And that's kind of what I've, that's what I enjoy about it. So, yeah, yes, I feel the exact same way. It is uh, just like I said, learning that they're people just like us. It's a very, it's a very crazy thing, especially when you're learning about things where you can line them up with things in history that you learned about in school and lining them up yep. in that timeline. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Yeah, it is. It is. Because whenever so. I uh, was researching my great-grandparents, they got married during the Second World War, and uh, th that affected the whole wedding, and like uh, they weren't, weren't able to spend a lot of money on it because there was no money at the time, and like because they were in England and they were they were getting bombed and like it was a mess and they had to all stay in one house and it affected the wedding like a crazy amount and I'm sitting here thinking they just lived through the second world war which I've read about in school and that's that's crazy to me like that like lining mm -hmm. up your ancestors with with history right right and you know with my with my great-grandmother or with my grandmother, Marion Beck, she went to stay with her parents in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, while my grandfather went to Europe mm -hmm. and was gone for several years. And my grandmother never drove, had, was in so many ways, just so timid and was not the kind of woman to ever take a risk and just do something. Well, she announced to her parents, I'm going to New Jersey and I'm going to see John. I have these three kids. I have no idea when or if I will ever see him again. I'm going. And she did. She packed up the wow. kids. They got on a troop train and they went to Fort Dix, New Jersey and I think my mom told me they lived in a really small flat or an apartment. And I can't remember what it was above. I have it written down somewhere. Um, but they did get to see him and spend some time together with him um, before he left. Mm -hmm. And I, my mother still, I still have some of the letters that he wrote my grandmother um, wow. while he was overseas 
And I have, there's a piece of memorabilia that the Army Air Corps was selling at the time. It, they were little heart-shaped lockets with the props on them. And I have the one that my grandfather sent my grandmother. Wow, that's crazy. You, you still have yeah. it with you? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's hanging up in my bedroom. Yeah, it's wow. one of my treasured possessions. That's amazing. That's I uh, yeah. I would love to have my my grandfather's medals. There was a lots of time, but um, let's uh, let's dive into your. Uh, I know you've already told me some fascinating stories, but let's dive into the main one we were talking about. Uh, if you want to get started on that, okay. So first of all, my dad's side, my paternal Shane side, has closets of skeletons. And most families do if you dig deep enough. If you're looking into your family history, do not suspect at all that your family was lily white mm -hmm. or full of very proper people because I can guarantee you that they were not. Mm -hmm. um, so my brick wall is my fourth great grandfather, James Shane. What we know about him is that he was born in about 1788 and allegedly he was born in Virginia. That's what he told everybody. So I descend through his son, David Shane and Lydia Trowbridge. And one of my early missions was to one of my early research objectives was to identify the parents of James Shane, who was born in 1788, Virginia. Well, and in order to do that, you, you have to use all of the, the help that you can get. And that means when people talk about building out the family tree and building back and then building down. So for James Shane, I needed to identify all of David's siblings. And I had lots of obituaries, census records, information. I had quite a bit of that. And there was one sibling, James Harrison Shane. I didn't know much about him. I found him on a census record. I knew who his children were, but I didn't have much on him. So I started digging into the DNA and it connected me with a cousin in Washington state. So we started exchanging information and her story was about her grandfather, Sylvan Shane, his okay. parents. Okay. So his parents were Mamie Judd and John Franklin Shane, who was a son of James Harrison and his wife, Letty Day. Well, then she says, but Teresa, they weren't legally married. I said, well, what are you talking about? She said, oh no, my great grandmother was wife number six. And he was a bigamist. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah, exactly. The look on <laughs> your face. I was like, oh, my God, what? She said, yeah. So in addition, the cousin in, our, in Washington shares DNA with a cousin in Ireland. Oh, wow. Okay. Who says that. Her ancestor is a John Lewis Shane who was born about 1863 and died in 1933 in Missouri. But she had nothing on him before 18, 1903 and he was born in 1863. So he should have been in the 1870 census, he should have been in the 1880 census, and he should have been in the 1900 census, right? Right. So there should be 
some documentation somewhere about this John Lewis Shane. But why would a family name two sons John, right? right? So I told her I would start digging. So I found newspaper articles about a John F. Shane who was being charged with assault for going after the father of an Effie Lisk. Now, supposedly, Effie had left John, returned to her parents, and John got angry and shot Effie's father, but I think he ended up hitting her in the leg. So John gets arrested. Well, then I, so I was able to say, okay, so we have John Shane, we have this Effie Lisk, and I just started following the names because if you, if you hear the phrase, use your fan club, that's your friends, associates, and neighbors, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in this case, it was who were all these people that are listed in these newspaper articles, including there's a ton of newspaper articles from a Marilda, Marilda Mooney, mm -hmm. who, whose mother we believe was a sister to John Franklin's mother. So Letty Day and Eliza Day are sisters. One marries a Shane, one marries a Mooney. Right. Okay. So what happened was John was using different names to marry these women. Oh my gosh. So he used Frank Shane. David L. Mooney, Del Mooney, and D.E. Mooney to marry seven different women in Illinois, Iowa, and Missouri. That is nuts. It, yeah. Well, and what, what really helped me out was that these women had all written letters to law enforcement and to the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And so these letters were presented in court and to law enforcement as evidence of who this person was. And Marilda Mooney's testimony and the Mooney and the the written testimony of his first wife were invaluable in creating a family tree. Right. So he marries women in 1874, and he had two daughters. One I found and researched, and the other one I haven't been able to find. He marries again in 1883, 1884, has another daughter, 1887, 1888. He's arrested in 1890 for bigamy from his second and third marriages he's released from prison in 1893 marries my cousin's great-grandmother in 1899 <laughs> and they have a son the sylvan shane so in 1901 he marries again gets caught gets incarcerated in 1902 for three years but he's released early and after his release in 1903, he disappears. We can't find him. Oh, my However, gosh. In his arrest records and his prison registry, he lists his occupation as an oculist, which was an early eye specialist. So in 1903, guess what? A John Lewis Shane shows up in Missouri he gets married and is a respectable eye specialist. <laughs> he has a child, the ancestor of our Irish cousin. So this summer, my plan is to use techniques from a research class I'm in, a study group, 
to fully develop this story because I want to write it out. I really right. want to document this. And so right now, the Irish cousin, my Washington cousin and I, and based on DNA, the shared centimorgans, the two women are uh, second cousins mm -hmm. because they share 132 centimorgans. Right. Yes. And they are actually, they are actually, I think half, I have it written. I have it noted here. They, I believe they're like half second cousins. Right. Something like that. But otherwise, if the two men were separate, they would be full cousins. But because there's one man and two women, they're half. Right, because, because their most re yeah their most recent common ancestor would be the man who had the had children with each of their ancestresses. Right, and their ancestresses are different, but the man is the same, so it would make them half. Right, yeah, wow. it's like having a half sibling. Mm -hmm. So they're so Sylvan. And um, Liatha's, oh, Sylvan and Sylvia are actually half siblings. Whereas oh, wow. otherwise, if they were different couples, they would be first cousins. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, I, wow. I, try, I had to, I had to create a tree to, in order just to figure this out. Right. No, I don't blame yeah. you. Because even, even just sitting here thinking about all the branches in my brain, it's uh it sounds very like I I had to I had to write it down. I had to actually build a tree on ancestry mm -hmm. in order to figure out what relationship these two are. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is nuts. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Well well, what I want to ask you is like just in general, what do you think like how do you think bigamy just affects genealogy overall? Well, I I really like that question because, um, you know, there were times and there are there are times that a person can just simply walk away and reinvent themselves. If they don't want to be somewhere, you can't make them stay. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, um, there was no divorce. The, the institution of the family was very ingrained to societal success. And there were not that many options open to women. But if she were, if she were divorced, she would have been basically persona non grata right. in, in the community. But if she were abandoned, she would have a lot more rights. Right. Um, and so they would just simply walk away. And, and I did use, um, one of the things that really helped was the newspaper accounts and John Lewis, John Lewis Shane's obituary from 1933, the newspaper accounts regaled the scandal because it really was a huge scandal right. and so every every chance the newspapers could they were going to write about it and they revealed all of the different names that were involved the women who were involved in one case one of the women said this was my mother's name so this was her maiden name um, told the names of the children that he had fathered and how old they were, which allowed me then to go into documented indexes and records and go page by page in some of those cases. But one of the things I found, and this was really interesting, is I found a story, or actually it was a, a piece of literature and it's called Lots of Them Did That. 
and its desertion, bigamy, and marital fluidity in late 19th century America. Wow. And yeah, one of the things that this author said um, was, um, let me see if I can get her name. It's Beverly, Beverly Schwartzberg who wrote this article and did this research, a lot of men were caught due to their Civil War pension records mm -hmm. because their current wife would file for pension records only to find out that her husband was either not legally her husband or he was still married or in some, he had been married before and he never said a word. Yeah. That's, that's not so that's crazy. <laughs> it's, it make, yeah, it makes the genealogy difficult. One, because if you're using DNA, two people who should be like first, second or third cousins, if they're the result of a bigamous marriage, it changes that to like a half first cousin, half second cousin. And so that means the numbers are a little different. Right. And you, you may find names that you're like, how in the world did this happen? What do you, yeah. And like John Franklin, Shane, he went to prison as uh, Del Mooney. Oh, yeah, that would be, yeah, that would be one of his aliases. Yeah, yeah. And so it was only through the newspaper report that I was able then to put the two pieces together and look for a prison registry for a Mooney rather than a Shane. Mm -hmm. But in looking for a Shane, I also found his father. Wow. Who had committed bigamy in Cooper County, Missouri, twice and was in prison for it as well wow <laughs> and i have the court transcript from that one mm -hmm. that one was really fun to get but yeah so it makes it difficult because these are not things that the families ever talk about right because it's and kind of like taboo it is and what guy is going to want to admit that, oh, by the way, yeah, I ran off and left this woman with three or four kids in Illinois or wherever and started a new life for myself. And it isn't just men. Women would do it, too. Right. You know, so, like yeah, everyone, <laughs> you know, and it and I really liked how this Beverly used the word f marital fluidity. Right. It was like the institution of marriage was, was whatever the couple made of it. Right. So, yeah. But divorces were very, very hard to get. And the men, all the men had to do was prove adultery or um, accuse a woman of adultery. Mm -hmm. And all, but the woman, if she filed for divorce, she had to prove how horribly she was abused and mistreated. Yeah, and that's hard and to do back then. Many, yeah, many, yep, many times it was not granted. Yeah. Yeah. Because she would, she would have to move back home with her family, <clears throat> typically. Yeah. So, see, we yeah. say, like, bigamy is a crime and it makes genealogy hard, but also, like, divorces were just really hard. Like, I was doing research on it when you messaged me about it, and it was basically saying it's, the, the poor person's divorce essentially like because divorce was expensive yeah. divorce was hard to come like to 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 fulfill and then you it was just easier to just walk away sometimes yeah yeah you couldn't just say there was no oh i'm just really unhappy with you aspect to get a divorce mm -hmm. there was no no fault divorce it was somebody's fault Somebody was not doing what they should do. Yeah. yeah. Oof, well, that is that's heavy. Yeah, that's that's hard, especially back then. You have to think about what our ancestors our ancestors went through, and we have to kind of change our perspective a little bit because it was definitely a different world back then. It 
really was. It really was. Um, actually, my my cousin and I, my cousin from the East Coast and I, um, he discovered that our great grandfather was charged with um, adultery, mm -hmm. and they and they stayed married. Um, but he became a traveling salesman, and she was always taking trips to see her family. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, my thing for you is like, what were your best resources when you were like, you like finding these multiple marriages? Well, one of the things I've learned from the respected professionals I follow is to dig deep. Mm -hmm. So I used census records. I often went page by page. Um, the Peoria County, Illinois um, court uh, county site has a place called a document center and they have all of the old birth, marriage, and death records up until the time that the records were um, uh, supposed to be kept. Mm -hmm. uh, so that allowed me to look for Shane and Mooney, marriages, deaths, everything. I used every name, every variation. Newspaper articles led me to those maiden names and prison records gave me dates and details. Um, I found John Franklin Shane's first daughter's death certificate in Missouri and the informant was a relation. So that allowed me to track back and fill in that tree. Um, I used ancestry to create those trees and followed hints to records and images and newspapers.com was invaluable because it was a scandal. Yes. yes newspapers.com. So I live were, by that. Those were the big ones. Yep, those were the big ones I used. Right. Well, in general, what kind of advice would you give to someone who is just starting their genealogy uh, journey? And furthermore, what advice can you give to someone who might be running into instances of bigamy in their own research? So I really thought about this because if I was just beginning, what would I have wanted somebody to say to me? So first of all, answer the question, why are you doing this? Are you doing it for a legacy? Are you doing it because you've heard about grandma and grandpa so-and-so who immigrated or who lost everything or who were divorced or whatever? What is your reason for wanting to know? Um, I'm doing mine because no one else has. And it's my legacy to mm -hmm. my family and to my grandchildren. So you always start with yourself. You record your parents' and grandparents' stories. You join your local genealogy society. There's a wealth of information within that those groups. Um, I highly recommend the Research Like a Pro class and book at familylocket.com. Um, te DNA test your oldest living relative. If all of you, if all four of your grandparents are still alive, DNA test them at ancestry.com. You'll get the autosomal and it will go back to their sixth or seventh generation in mm -hmm. matches. Yeah, not available. Okay? So always do a DNA test. Do at least a Y111 test on a father or a grandfather. Mm -hmm. Um subscribe to family tree webinars start with the beginning genealogy ones learn how to cite your sources and document your research otherwise you spin your wheels yeah right you're always going to go back to that one and go wait a minute i already have this right organize your information so it works for you are you a computer whiz? Do you really like Excel? Do you know absolutely how to make a computer sing? Do it digitally. You know what to do. Other people are more comfortable with paper and binders. Yeah. That's what that's what they do. It, you figure out your best way. Um, Cindy's List has a lot of really good resources on documentation and organizing. Um Start a tree on Ancestry for free. You don't have to subscribe right away. You can you can do a lot of searching 
and then go to family search to actually find a lot of those documents. Okay. Um, use the card catalogs that are at those sites. Don't trust every shaking leaf. Many of the, you have to look at the document yourself. You have to do the research. Um, libraries and books are still your best friends and become a student of history. Um, our ancestors' lives, like we said earlier, were affected by society, economics, wars, and politics. So if you hear a story about an ancestor who ran off, document what you hear and write it down. Names, dates, places, make a timeline. Do autosomal DNA, analyze your matches, and learn how to use it. Don't assume anything and keep an open mind. And I've helped a number of people track down their ancestors. And there have been a lot of surprises along the way. Mm -hmm. And then I even wrote down my last piece of advice is be prepared for anything. But most of all, have fun. Yes. <laughs> Our stories are awesome. Yes, absolutely. They're awesome. And they need to be told. You know, there's so much that I've learned, um, especially since, especially over probably the last five or six years. Um, and then when COVID hit, when the pandemic hit, we were doing so many Zoom meetings and so many Zoom genealogy instructions. I was able to attend society meetings from all over the country. Yeah, that's amazing. And I was learning so much and I realized uh, I probably need to up my game a little bit, you know, because we, when you first start out, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this. This is my family. And the next thing you know, is you just simply saved all of these people and you don't find out until five, 10 years later that it's all wrong. Right. And then you have to go back. And that's in all. And it, one of the reasons I say that is because that's kind of what I'm going through right now. Um, we when it came to James Shane's parents. Um, he's my fourth great grandfather and we have no information on him whatsoever. All we all we know is from census records um, I do have James and Catherine Schrode's marriage bond from Berkeley County, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And her father was Solomon Schrode. And George Schrode is her brother. He married a Nancy Booth. And John Booth was the shirter of the bond. He was the one who went in with James and said, yeah, we'll pay 150 pounds or $150 if something comes up that they can't get married. Mm -hmm. And so we were, you know, we've been kind of able to say, okay, that's who they are. Um, but then they had, uh, James and Catherine have all these children and originally in the paperwork it said that her name was Schroeder well now it's like okay which hmm. one is it but we did find the James Shane who married a Catherine Schroed but we cannot find her after 1830 now their last child Caleb was born 1827 and then um about the mid 1830s after david and lydia and a sister and a brother get married out in virginia the shane men buy land and they move as a family to illinois mm -hmm. into peoria county and that's really where they 
And um, David, David Shane ends up being near um, in Livingston County, helped start the church up there. Uh, Lydia Trowbridge comes from a long line of English names and ancestry, very well documented. Um, but and so James the Elder, the old man, he's living with his daughters and their husbands, the Browns. Mm -hmm. And they end up out in Iowa and that's where he dies. Well, we, I'd started finding these DNA matches to the Shanes in Ohio and started tracking them down. And a lot of us were connected, but some of them were really low centimorgans and small segments and we were still like, well, you know, this is still possible. Well, according to a book that a couple of Shane descendants put together in the 19, was it 1930s or 40s? Might have been later than that. Mm -hmm. um, the James Shane, who had there was a James Shane and Elizabeth Kurtz and their son, James was born in 1778. Mm -hmm. And he had married a woman by the last name of red, had four children. And then he dies. Well, we were like, I mean, is it possible? Did he take off? Yeah. You know, Maybe this whole bigamy thing was something that ran in the family, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we really, we, I started looking for descendants of this James and Sally. And I found a couple of them. And the one of them that I've been talking to, we match no DNA whatsoever. And I have my uncles, my dad's brother has tested on ancestry mm -hmm. and they should at least share some if they're related, but they share none. Wow. So now we're actually thinking that James and Elizabeth are not my James's parents. So I'm I started looking back at um the Y DNA and um that's my that's one of my next steps and so I've decided that's one of the reasons I said I'm starting back at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do, do a do over of this research. Right. And I see what I can find. Yeah, there have definitely been some branches of the trees uh, or of my tree that I've had to restart, delete and restart because something was wrong. And I didn't either check a source or there was someone of the same name. I just put them under the, the wrong thing. And yeah, I've had to restart branches before back, in, especially in my early days yeah. of genealogy research. And it, and it just, you know, and it's easy to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's one of the reasons why. I really do like it's um, Nicole Dyer and um, Diana Elder's research like a pro. Mm -hmm. um, they have they have two really good books. So they did they have this one, mm -hmm. um, and it li literally takes you step by step. And then they also have this one, research like a pro uh, with DNA. Right. And the other one, I'm also taking a DNA year-long study group with Diane Southard. And that's, and she did this one. Mm -hmm. Your DNA guide, the book. Yep. And it's step-by-step. Step. So, for example, if you're, she tells you how to find your best mystery matches. She tells you how to color code everything on Ancestry. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's, I think the hard part right now is there's so much information out there. There's so much education. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know how I work full time and do it, but I do, <laughs> I work and I do this and I, yeah. I help, I, I have my daughter and grandchildren near me, but that's all I do right now. Cause I'm just, this is my legacy. Yeah. This is how my grandchildren are going to hear the stories because otherwise they won't know any. Right. It's, you it's, know? it's a big deal to take the torch of being the genealogist in the family and doing all the research. So I, I understand that I've had to, uh, be that even though I'm pretty young, I've had to be that researcher in my family. Uh, and you have, yeah, that's what I've had to do, but it's, yeah. it's been rewarding. Oh, it is. And, you know, trust me, your, you know, your family will look at you and go, Oh, I'm really happy that you do this, but I don't understand anything. And I'm not interested in hearing all the details. Yeah. Yep. I've gotten so that before. That's yeah. Yep. So, you know, I've, I, I, that's why I, I really like my Facebook groups because I can get on there and, and talk genealogy <laughs> stuff with people. And that's why I like my genealogy society is because I can also do that. Yeah. So it's just, I love it. I love it because I learned something new historically every single day and you know when we were talking about learning about the socioeconomics and the culture of the times and everything else so i have to show you these because you'll appreciate these um they they had them in the discard pile at the library mm -hmm. and they're called the american decades oh wow and I got them for two bucks a piece. Wow. That's and these amazing. are like $50 books. And so they talk about um, one of them is they talk about Benny Goodman. You know, when would Benny Goodman have been playing his music? Mm -hmm. And in fact, I'd heard the story so often about how my grandparents met and it was on the rooftop garden. Gardens, I found the hotel in Milwaukee where they met. Wow, that's crazy. From the newspapers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from the that's newspapers. Incredible. And so I think it was like two or three years ago, my daughter's, I asked my daughter what she wanted for David for Christmas. She said, I want a book. A book? <laughs> so I, I, had just gotten my mother's photo albums and I found the telegram that my grandfather sent my grandmother on their 11th anniversary. And he was just stepping foot back in the United States. And I had a picture of her wearing um, the locket and I had a picture of him in his uniform and I had a picture, I put a picture behind them of this telegram. And that was the cover of the book. And it was called Love in a Locket. Oh, wow. And so it's it's actually probably a higher level book than mm -hmm. what my grandchildren would read right now. But it just, I pulled census records, how much money my great grandparents and my grandparents were making. I found pictures of their old houses mm -hmm. that they lived in. And so I was able to put some things together and use some historical data on, you know, what was going on at the time. But it's, you know, once you start digging into this, you're never going to leave it. You can't because you can't, it just keeps pulling you back. Yep. And there's always more there's to research. There's always something new. There's always something new. There's always, I, I worked at a, um, a lodge in Kanab, Utah, and we would get foreign visitors and, and I'm part French and French Canadian. 
And every manifest of the buses we would get, I would look down for the surnames of my family. Mm -hmm. And on one of them, I found a Benoit, B-E-N-O-I-T. So I made the translator group guide introduce us. I called my husband and I said, I need my page book that's here and here on the shelf. (laughs) He brought it to me and our ancestors were siblings. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Yeah. She jumps up in the chair. Cousin! Cousin! American cousin! Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. It was great. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And then, in fact, one of my genealogy society members here is a Trowbridge relation. We're related to Thomas Trowbridge. Oh, wow. Yeah. You got cousins all over the place. I do. Yeah. I do. It's... I have, and it's just by the time you've been doing this a few years, this, yeah, the surnames are just in your head mm-hmm. and you'll start to hear conversations and go, wait a minute. Did you say Perkinikonowski? Mm-hmm. Are they the Perkinikonowskis from so-and-so, you know? Yeah. And you find connections that way. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, but it's we're all related. Crazy. Yeah, you know, we're Wonderful. all related somewhere. But yeah, it it's fun. As yeah. you can tell, I could talk genealogy for <laughs> hours. No, I understand. Yeah. Well, I I deeply appreciate you coming on here and sharing all your stories. And honestly, I would love to have you on here again if you would be open to that. If you had, yeah, just more, yeah, give me a holler. Yeah, yeah of course. Just let me know. Yeah, anything that you'd like to talk about. I mean, we could talk genealogy all day if you wanted, but uh, I'd love. It's oh been a God. pleasure. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I remember the early days when it was the self-addressed stamped envelopes, mm-hmm. and um, and you had to send off to courthouses and hope that they had the record, and you had to send a money order or a check along with it. And, um, and now there's DNA, Yeah, you know, and people are like, what, what do I do with all of this? You know, how, how is it that we're related? How is it that we're connected? Yeah. And, and I think in all honesty, Megan, I think we all just want to know how are we connected? Yeah. That's the big you know, question. How how does it all matter? And why does it matter? And, you know, it's, I think it's, they did a study. There was a study that somebody did after the, the Twin Towers came down. And they went back and they talked to the families who had lost loved ones in the planes, who had children, especially And they found out that the children who had grown up hearing their family stories of hardship and difficulties and had learned how to cope and had been resilient and had carried on, those children were doing better navigating the trauma than children who had no idea what their families had ever been through where they came from and see and I grew up hearing my grandpa talk about liberating concentration camps yeah and my dad being 18 going on to Normandy Beach oh mine too (laughs) yeah I remember you said that and I was like oh my god right what a small world yeah um but yeah my my dad was eight on an LST and he was the commander of a landing craft vehicle personnel Mm -hmm. and he was taking the Canadians and Scots ashore and watching them get mowed down wow because so many of them died when they got on the beach but yeah it's those stories give us strength and I think that's the more we can find out about what our families, what our ancestors went through and what our families in that context of time, we can see, oh my God, you know, the Chicago fire, mm-hmm. you know, 
the the riots that happened all over the country, you know, the political mess we're in is nothing new. Yeah. We have been through this so much. Yeah. You know, and all you have to do is look at the front page of a paper on newspapers.com and you're like, oh my. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. It was crazy. It it was yeah. just nutty, but it makes for fascinating reading. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It it does. And I just love it. I I I really do um I appreciate every family member who um has decided that they're the ones to tell those stories. Oh yes. Um just because otherwise who will? Yeah, you exactly. Know. So yeah, that's my stick. Stick. Is that how they pronounce it? I don't <laughs> know. But Something yeah, like that. <laughs> I I just I just absolutely love it. It's yeah. um it's great fun. I love helping other people. I love answering questions. You know. Yeah. Mm. Um I it I think one of the ones, I'll tell you a quick story. One of the ones that gave me the greatest joy was I used to be a newspaper reporter. And I got a call. I was it was like a Friday afternoon. It was really quiet. I'd already done everything I kind of needed to do. And so I was just kind of there and I got a phone call from a gal named Brenda. And she, she said, do you have the newspapers in Richmond or at the office for 1947? And I said, I said, we do not. I said, but the Ray County Museum does. I said, I go up there quite often to pull information out of them. She said, well, we were up there and we weren't able to find what we were looking for. I said, what are you looking for? Because I'm always nosy. She right. said, I'm trying to find my brother's birthday. I said, why don't you ask him? She said, I don't know his name and I don't know where he is. Ding, 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 ding. Right. <laughs> my little antenna start going off. I said, tell me more. <laughs> so while we're on the phone, we, I say, okay, I'm going to put off my journalist hat and we're going to do genealogy. She went, what? I said, oh yeah. I said, now you're in my other obsession. Mm -hmm. So we did a timeline based on her birth. And the births of her siblings that she had found, her mother's age, what she knew when things happened, and when these two boys were supposedly born, based on gestation, conception, potential mm -hmm. birth years, we were able to pinpoint three-month periods where wow. these birth dates could be. So she said, well, we went up to the museum to look at them, but she said we couldn't find anything. And I said, I'll take a look. Mm -hmm. So I went up there, got the books I needed. And the women told me the same thing. Oh, we already looked for those, but we couldn't find them. And I said, okay. In five minutes, I found both of them. Oh, my gosh. And they were like, how did you do that? And I said, well, because I focus. Mm -hmm. And I know what to look for in these newspapers. I know I just skim them and I know what kind of strike hits, hits me. So I was able to call the woman back and say, here's the potential birth dates for this one. And here's the other one. And she was just like, oh my God. So she, she had the DNA matches that she knew about and I didn't help her so much. She had a, um, a, a DNA angel. What is it? They call them. Um, anyway, she had this Dawn Cosmacos helping her. And I went to go see a private eye who was a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And I said, 
can you tell me all of the males who were born in Missouri in this area on this date? She said, yes, I can. I can pull it up. She said, don't tell anybody. I said, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> so she did. We did it for both of the boys. I gathered the Excel spreadsheet and I sent it off to the angel who was helping her. She compared it to what she worked with within her field. And she found two that were missing on mm -hmm. hers, but they were on ours. So she oh. tracked down the names. She found an obituary for the younger brother and he showed he has an older brother, so-and-so, in Wyoming. And she got a hold of Brenda. And so it took us, I think, a month, and we found them. Oh, wow. So she got a hold of her older brother, and I was the first one called. I was given the scoop to write about all of this, and I was invited to their reunion that Christmas. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. I I it was it was the the best thing I ever did. It was it was just this was what this is why I do what I do. Yeah. It is it's, what I do. It's, it's a fulfilling feeling to, you know, be able to reunite people like that. It is. It is. And to give people answers. I have a yeah. veteran friend. I'm helping her husband. His mother was um, adopted out of New Orleans. Every mm -hmm. time she'd ask about her birth family, they would basically just shut her, shut her down. Um, and he did an ancestry DNA test and we knew nothing. So on ancestry, It'll ancestry DNA will tell you these are the four most common names in in your matches. And so I did a leads chart of those four names. Mm -hmm. Who who has these surnames in these in their trees? And who his highest matches were and how are they possibly related? And it took us a little bit, but I ended up finding who they were. And at first it was like, I'm sure it's these people, these two people, but I can't connect them at the location mm -hmm. to where he, where his mother would have been conceived because you can't do it from a hundred thousand, hundred miles apart. Right. Yeah. So I found a find a grave obituary and it said, after she graduated from college with the first um, like activities degree from this college, she went to work at a cotton mill where the father was. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't there very long. She returned home and got married just a short while later. Yeah. And it was all within the time frame of when this baby would have been born. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So we were, I was able to connect the dots and then find the people who would have been half siblings, one on his mother's side and one on his father's side or the mother's father and the mother's mother mm -hmm. that they would have been half siblings and the DNA matches would have been appropriate sent to Morgan's for that. That's incredible though, to find this connection. It was like great. That. It was so fun. Yeah, it was Weird. fun. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming into the podcast and sharing all of your stories and shedding some light on bigamy and genealogy and sharing your wonderful advice. Thank you so much for joining today. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, I, it's an obsession. It becomes that way. Yes. But learn all you can and have some fun while you're at it. The stories are great. Just from this podcast alone, so many people have so many different stories. It's uh, it's truly incredible. So I'm just happy to have, have many people on here sharing their genealogy stories. 
And to anyone out there listening, if you would like to be a part of the podcast, uh, just go ahead and send me an email, genealogywithmegan at gmail.com. You can also message me on Genealogy Explorer. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.